Hello, and welcome to the New Hope Church Podcast. Whether you are a member of our church family, either in person or online, or just checking us out for the first time, we believe that you belong here at New Hope Church, and we hope that this message speaks to you today. Don't forget to check us out online at newhopechurch.tv, and we'd love to connect with you on social media at New Hope Church TV. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome to New Hope Church. My name is Howard. I'm the campus pastor for that fun-loving crew down the road in Alvin. Want to welcome all those guys in along with Pastor Mike and everybody at the Friendswood campus, Pastor Andy and the folks down the Webster campus, Pastor Jordan at our newest campus in Pearland, and of course Pastor Jeremy and everybody at the 288 campus and along with our newest friends joining us from the Weibo Bible Church in Weibo, Montana. I am so glad to be here with you guys this morning. Been some very exciting times around here lately with all of the baptisms last week. And man, I am just celebrating what God is doing in this church. And I am honored. I get to kick off the new series. Uh, we are starting this week called Insomnia. Each of the four weeks will be taught by one of the campus pastors. Next week is Pastor Jeremy, uh, followed by Pastor Mike, and, and then Pastor Jordan will be closing the series. And, and I'm very excited to hear from all those guys because sleep is something we all have in common, right? Sleep is something that each of us needs. And so I'm just praying that everything we learn in this series leads to better, more restful sleep for us all. Now, my wife, Charlene, and I, we are pretty, pretty fortunate. We live about two miles from one of our sons, Jacob, and he has three and any moment now, number four, kids on the way. And uh, because they are so close, we get to spend a lot of time with them. We get to do things. Uh, here's three. This is Lily, Oliver, and Georgia. We were at the Alvin High School football game, one of them last year, and uh, just had a good time. And we get to do things like that. That's what's pretty cool. And during the school year, Charlene actually keeps my youngest granddaughter, Georgia, so that's an older picture. She's about 20 months old now. She is in constant motion. Uh, so how many of you have kids, grandkids in that area? You can feel me, right? You can feel me. Uh, but two times a day, at least, gloriously, gloriously, she goes down for a nap. <laughs> and I'll admit this. When I walk by her and she's sleeping, I am jealous, jealous to my core of how soundly and peacefully she sleeps. Admit it, right? We all get jealous when we watch a baby sleep. That's where that whole phrase, sleeps like a baby, came from. But what is equally amazing to me is how hard she fights going to sleep. I mean, you can see it, or her, her eyes are drooping and the head starts doing this thing, and then she'll start doing whatever she can to fight it. She'll start playing with her toys again, or she'll just sit on the floor and scream, or she'll get up and act out whatever she can do. And she's not the only one, because I see all you parents' videos on Facebook where you take pictures of your kids falling over and bouncing back up. And here's the deal. I love it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I said that Thursday and somebody sent me a video Friday morning. It's awesome. So keep sending them. I love watching those. But every time I watch Georgia do that, I think, why is she fighting it so much? I mean, I doubt any of us would fight sleep, right? We're, we're more on that other end of the spectrum. We, we want to fall asleep, but we can't, and we're trying, but it's just so hard sometimes. 
or, or we do fall asleep, but then we're restless, or we wake up in the middle of the night because our minds are just racing, and, and no matter how many sheep we count or how much warm milk we drink, sleep just doesn't come. If that sounds familiar, I am so glad that you joined us this week as we begin a four-week series. We've called insomnia, that fancy word that means, you know, we're unable to find restful sleep. And as we get started, I want to ask you a question. What keeps you up at night? What keeps you up at night? Statistics show us that one-third of all adults struggle with falling asleep or staying asleep. One-third, that's an epidemic. And I think about how, how that lack of sleep affects us, our mood, our ability to concentrate, our ability to give our best. Every single thing we do in our lives is so much harder without proper rest. And it seems like everybody is offering some kind of solution to our sleep woes. You're talking to a guy at work, you tell him you have trouble sleeping, he goes, oh, 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 you need to get the mattress that I have. That's what's going to help. You need one of those sleep number beds. That's what you need. That'll cure it for you. Or maybe you need to get a my pillow, my pillow. Um, or hope. Oh, you're not listening to the right sounds. You need to play some spa music real soft in the background. Or no, what you need is one of those uh, static machines like white noise or, or brown noise or something. Or um, you're not taking the right pills. You need to take some all-natural melatonin. That'll help you sleep. Or you need to take z or something like that. I love their slogan, better sleep for all. Or maybe you're going to change your lifestyle. You quit drinking caffeine or you start exercising more. Or you start finally eating right. And it doesn't matter what we try, still a huge chunk of the population can't go to sleep. But I, I think our real problem is not a lack of sleep. Our real problem is a lack of peace. We're stressed out. Woo! We're stressed out, we're stretched thin, we're, we're worried, we're anxious about so many things in this life that we can't shut it down long enough to relax and rest. And so I ask you again, what is it? What keeps you up at night? Maybe for you it's work, maybe it's your job or the people you work with or your boss. For you it could be parenting. No matter how old your kids are, it can be a challenge to parent them well. It can often seem overwhelming. Maybe it's simply finding your purpose. You're, you're just constantly looking for some kind of sign that you're in the right place and you're doing the right thing. Or, or maybe you can't even take time to figure out what's keeping you up because you're just too busy all the time. Look at Psalm 22.2. It says, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. How many of us would admit that that's where we find ourselves now? But that's not what the Lord wants for us. Instead, look at what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are you stressed, overwhelmed, bitter, angry, afraid, resentful, doubtful, feeling like nobody ever, ever, ever listens to you? Are you heavy laden? If so, Jesus wants you to have peace. He wants to give you rest. Jesus wants you to sleep like a baby. That's why I am excited for this series. Because over the next four weeks, we're going to be taking some time, digging into God's word, 
We're going to be looking at some of the biggest issues that kind of rob us of our peace so that we can find that, that rest for our souls. And today, we'll be talking about work. Not a lot of you may already have thoughts and feelings and ideas about this topic of work. But here's a few famous ones I found. King Solomon, wise King Solomon, he said in Proverbs chapter 14 that all hard work brings a profit. But mere talk leads only to poverty. So he's saying it's good. Hard work is good. Former prime minister of India, Indira Gandhi, she said this. There are two kinds of people, those who do the work and those who take the credit. <laughs> Try to be in that first group because there's less competition. <laughs> and then uh, there is a British author named Jerome Jerome. And yes, that really was his name. Jerome Jerome, he wrote this. I like work. It fascinates me. I can sit and look at it for hours. <laughs> How many of you feel like you worked with Jerome Jerome before? Uh, this last one is uncredited, but I thought it was just too good to leave out. It says, a woman's work is never done, especially the part she asked her husband to do. <laughs> but I love the fact that we are starting with this topic of work because all of us work in some capacity. We may be a student or maybe we're a stay-at-home mom, but we're still working, amen? And, or maybe we work outside the home in a traditional office or at a plant or driving a vehicle or ever since COVID, more and more of us are working from home or in some kind of hybrid plan. Think about this. The average retirement age for a man in the United States currently is, see if you know, it is 65 65 is the current retirement age. Now, we know a lot of guys go to work right after high school, 17, 18 years old. Some go off to college, get to work around 22, 23. So let's split to them. Or let's say the average age of a U.S. male starting work is 20, 20, all right? So we start working at 20, we retire at 45. Now, hopefully, you get a job or you get a couple of weeks vacation every year. So now you're talking about five days a week times 50 weeks a year times 45 years that adds up to 11,250 days of work, give or take, for the average U.S. man. That's a lot of work. And if our job is a source of stress or angst or bad feelings or physical and mental exhaustion, how are we ever going to find peace? But that's what God promised us. If, keyword, if, if we do it his way. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at three areas of our work lives where the Lord is calling us to do things his way. And the first one is this. God cares about what I do, which means he cares about my work. I'm talking about what you actually get up and do every day, right now where you are. Not what you've done in the past, like a work history or what you're hoping to do someday in the future. This is what you're doing right now, your current job. And if I ask you, What's the first word that you think about when you think about your current job? How many of you would admit that that word would be negative? I wouldn't be surprised if it is because it seems like that's often the way we look at and talk about our work. Here's some typical things we might say. Oh, man, I'd love to, but I got to get up early and go to work tomorrow. Or it's like Sunday afternoon, you went to church, you had lunch, went home, and you're like, oh, tomorrow's Monday. You got to start all over again. Or maybe even at work, you're like, man, I hate this place, but it pays the bills, you know. 
Or, or you're sitting in the break room and you tell your buddy, you go, man, I can't wait till Friday. He says, Friday, I can't wait till I retire. Then I can live the good life. I, I think if we could sum all that up, we could say work is a burden. Work's a burden. I mean, we act like it is, right? It's bad, something we're burdened to do. I think if given our druthers, none of us would ever work, right? We just relax and play and work out and watch TV, go eat, go see a movie, travel. You know, we just live the good life every day. Most of the time, I think we see work as a necessary evil. But that's not looking at our work his way. The question is, how does God feel about our work? Genesis chapter 2 It says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. So this is the Garden of Eden where everything was perfect. God makes man. He puts him in the perfect garden. It's just like that good life we were just talking about. Everything's easy. And then just a few verses later in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to what? Work it and take care of it. What? Whoa. Hey, 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 God, God. This is supposed to be paradise. I don't think there's work in paradise, God. But what's this telling us? It's telling us that God designed work to be good. And we could even say sacred. God designed work to be fulfilling and satisfying. Let's look back at something the wise King Solomon said about work in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He said, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. God's gift is that we would find satisfaction in our work. Now, does this mean I'll only be satisfied when I get the dream job or the big promotion or the big raise or the new office or I finally get to work for myself? No, We find this satisfaction when we use the skills and abilities God has blessed us with to the best of our ability. Does God care what job you have right now? No. As long as it's not illegal or goes against his word, don't get crazy, all right? (laughs) But if you answer phones for a living, be the best phone answerer you can be. If you drive a truck, be the best driver you can be. If you're a teacher or a warehouse forklift operator or a nurse or you work in retail, be the best worker you can possibly be. Proverbs 22, I love this. It says, do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. God is telling us you don't have to worry about being noticed. Just worry about being good and doing your best. Here's the truth. You might know more about your job than your boss does, but just keep being good at it. Your current job may not be utilizing all your skills and all your abilities, but just keep being good at it. There could still be things that you need to learn, and God is constantly refining and shaping you. And many times, you won't see what he's doing until much later. So in the moment, you have to be able to trust him. When I was a young guy, I used to work in retail. I worked in a music store and I worked in a big box store. And, but man, I could see my path, right? I could see my path. I was this low-level manager, but I could see my merchandise manager and my ops manager and the store manager. And I could even see that district manager way up there. And I'm thinking, that's my path and that's where I'm headed. 
And then I lost my job. And I had a friend who owned a sign shop. And he offered me a job to, to come work there until I found what I was going to do next. I ended up staying at that fine shop, sign shop for five years. And in many ways, it was the most unfun job I had ever had. Uh, I went from being on salary to now I'm back to being an hourly employee again. Uh, I went from wearing a tie and telling folks what to do that now I'm working in a warehouse or I'm actually out in the yard a lot too. I'm coming home at night and every day and I'm dirty and sweaty and my clothes have chemicals and, and ink and stuff on them. And I'll admit that my attitude was not great. Now I worked for my boss. He was my friend. And so I, you know, I tried to do a good job for him, but I was never thankful for that job. But the truth is I couldn't see what God was doing in my life. My commute every day from home to the sign shop was four minutes. My old job, it was 45 minutes each way. At my old job, I ate by myself every day because you couldn't have more than one manager off the floor at a time. So every day was me in the break room with my, eating my sandwich by myself. But every day now, I would go home for lunch and I ate with my wife and my kids because two of my three kids were born while during that five years that I worked there. And because it wasn't retail... I never had to work nights, and I never worked a Saturday, and I never worked a Sunday, which meant that I had a lot more time to volunteer at that brand new church that opened up in Pearland that my wife and I had just started attending. Eventually, Pastor Tim let me into the music ministry. I was blessed to lead that ministry for 25 years, and I came on staff at some point. I went full-time and then part-time, and I got ordained, and I can look back now and clearly see how God was shaping me during that time. In the Bible, uh, King David and Moses, two of the most important people in the Bible. One thing those guys had in common is that both of them spent time as a shepherd. Now on the ladder of success in Israel, you wanna know what the bottom rung was? Being a shepherd. It was low and dirty and thankless and you stayed out in the field and you slept with the sheep and no one wanted to do it. But these two guys did it. They learned to lead sheep and then God used them to lead an entire nation. Two things I know about God. God is looking for people that serve and do good work and God will elevate a servant at the proper time. James 1.17 tells us that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So material things that we receive are, are obviously gifts. If I hand you a box with a bow, you're going to go, look, Pastor Howard gave me a gift, right? But I'm talking about the, the gifts that God gives us that make us who we are. Talking about our physical gifts, our height, faces, smiles, voices, coordination that allows us to move, our strength, our, our minds that make us intelligent, that give us an ability to, to learn or to create. Those are the gifts I'm talking about. How are you going to honor God with those gifts that he's given you? I mean, we're all different. We have different gifts. But the point is this, to hide them or to be too unafraid or, or too unmotivated to step out and use them, that would be a tragedy. God wants us to understand that work is good. And he wants us to know the satisfaction that comes from using our gifts and the satisfaction of a job well done. 
I'm saying do the best you can with what you have, where you are right now. That's looking at my work his way. That takes us to number two. God cares about who I work with, meaning he cares about my witness. He cares about my witness. Very few of us work totally by ourselves, right? Usually we have bosses or coworkers. A lot of us have customers and vendors and delivery drivers that we see on a day-to-day basis. And let me say this, God cares about our relationships with all of these people. Once again, we, we need to look at these work relationships his way. Now we've looked at this next verse two weeks in a row now. Uh, we were talking about baptism. It's the great commission found in Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But I want to key on in this little word right here. Go. Go. God's calling us to go. Where is some place that you go almost every day? Hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work, we go. Your work! It's a place where you have the opportunity to interact with people and often the same people where you have the opportunity to build relationships and build bridges that lead to you being able to share the good news. God is calling you to treat your work as your mission field. It is one of the best ways to identify your ones, those people that God is putting in your life to to, to draw them closer to him. And I will say that I think it's one of the greatest opportunities for evangelism that we have. Now, I get this. You're going to say this. Some are going to say this. Uh, Howard, uh, preaching in the workplace is frowned upon in this establishment. I get it. I get it. And I know that the truth is people aren't usually lining up at your desk to ask you about Jesus. I want to share with you a quote. I've always loved this quote. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, although we have zero historical data that St. Francis ever said it. So, but I want to share it with you anyway. Always preach the gospel, and when necessary, use words. Probably not St. Francis of Assisi. (laughs) But I love it because it says we don't necessarily need words when it comes to influencing our wants for the Lord. But we have to earn the right to influence them. And I think the best way to do that is by living out a biblical work ethic. Think about this. Your ones will watch what you do before they will hear what you say. They'll watch you before they hear you. They are watching how you respond in a stressful situation. They're watching how you treat people. They're watching if you have integrity and if you give good effort. Are you quiet quitting? Are you barely engaged, doing the minimal amount of effort? Are you throwing people under the bus? Are you taking credit for other people's work? Are you engaging in office politics and gossiping and lying and taking the easy way out? Your ones are watching how you work. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. This is the apostle Paul. He's teaching the church in Thessalonica how to influence outsiders for Jesus how to set the stage to present the gospel. He said, you will win the respect of outsiders. Why is that important? Because people listen to people they respect. Winning respect in the workplace is critical to opening that door. People react to the way we work. They will resent those that don't carry the load. They will respect those that do. 
And the way we work speaks volumes to our one. Now, another situation you might find yourself in the workplace is, how do I handle difficult people? You may not know this, but everybody in your workplace may not be trying to honor God in the way they work. Who knew? And so that often could lead to difficult situations. So how do you handle those? I can't go super far into this today, but I do have three things real quick that you need to keep in mind when you're dealing with difficult folks at work. And the first one is this, always speak with respect. Speak with respect. Disagreement's gonna happen. We're gonna find ourselves on opposite sides of an issue, especially if the other person's not a Christ follower. But Ephesians 4 tells us that we're always to speak to one another in love. Love and respect have to be our guiding principles. And sometimes we wanna yell. Sometimes we just wanna be louder than the other person. But the goal is not to win the argument. The goal is to protect the relationship. Sometimes love and respect is all it takes to diffuse a bad situation. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh word stirs up anger. So always speak with respect. Secondly, examine yourself first. We are so good at determining the fault in other people, aren't we? Uh, I have the spiritual gift of discernment, Bob, and I have discerned the problem is with you. But, but Jesus warns us about this attitude in Matthew 7, 3. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? That's the danger. That's the danger, guys. We get caught up in this idea that we're trying to go, we're trying to, go to church and we're trying to follow Christ. We're trying to be a good person and that dude isn't. So obviously if there's a problem between us, it's with him. Jesus is saying, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled. Always examine yourself first. And finally, pray for them. Oh, Howard. Yes, pray for them. And I don't mean pray they get fired. <laughs> don't pray they get transferred or pray they come down with some weird, never disclosed disease before. I mean, pray for them. Pray for their good. Pray for their health. Pray for their prosperity. Pray for their family. Pray that they would find joy. And pray that God will open that door for you to be able to tell them about your faith. Jesus told us in Matthew 5, 44, he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. When it comes to your work, God cares about your relationship because he cares about your ability to witness to the people you work with. He calls us in Matthew 5, he says, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's just that simple. When you let your light shine, people will recognize that you have something different about you. And when they give you the opportunity and when they finally open the door, you are able to point them towards Jesus. So God cares about your work and he cares about your witness. And third, God cares about your, about who I work for, meaning my why. God cares about my why. Just about every one of us has a boss where we work. I mean, some of us may own our own companies or be an independent contractor, but we still have customers and we know the customer is always right. Or we have deadlines to, we got to get things done by, or we have people we need to answer to. But the question I want to ask you is no matter where you work, no matter what you do, who do you work for? Who is your real boss? For the Christ follower, our answer would be Jesus. Look at Colossians 3. 
Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We work for the Lord. Because how we work and why we work matters to him. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Now, do you want to make money? Yes. Do you want to save for your retirement? Yes. Do you want to buy things for your family? Do you want to be generous with church and with people you meet that need help? Yes, yes, yes. All of those things are great. And we can find biblical commands that line up with each and every one of those things. But those things can only be the what we do and not the why we do it. And maybe you're thinking, I don't get that, Howard. If I'm, if I'm doing good things with, with what I have, why does my why matter? Because many Christians work for the same why as non-Christians. And then they find themselves just as frustrated and in need of peace as unbelievers do. And they've been saved. I'm not talking about a salvation issue, but their thinking concerning work has not been renewed in the same way their spirit has. And so whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, if, if we work solely to acquire things or to make life easier for ourselves or to gain status or the praises of men, we will not experience peace in our work, even if we do gain worldly success. So what do we do? So we commit to working for the Lord. To, make, to commit to working for the Lord means I do what he gives me and calls me to do to the best of my abilities. And I do it to please him. I'm not the boss. He's the boss. I, I'm not just pursuing my own selfish interests. My goal is his pleasure and his glory. And I'm doing it with the full expectation of his involvement and his presence in my work. I'm telling you, when we just work to pile up stuff, or just so that one day we can retire and take it easy, then something fundamental about work is lost. There, there, there is no true blessing working independent of God. Our why has to be working for the Lord. And when it comes to your work, here's what I know. This job that you're in right now, this is where you are. It's where God has you. So whatever it is that you're doing, God wants you to do it his way. And if you do, then you can have peace and he will give you rest. And as long as you're in your current job, that means working your job to the best of your ability. It means understanding that God is shaping you and molding you and understand that even your ability to work is a gift from God. It also means having a servant's heart for the people that you work with, treating them better than they probably deserve and probably better than they're treating you. It's letting your work, your work satisfaction and your joy overflow into your work environment. And it's leading other people to want what you have, a relationship with Christ. It also means doing everything you do as unto the Lord. He is your ultimate boss. You are seeking to please him with your work. And it's not to earn his favor, but it's to recognize his favor on your life. To remember what he has done for you. To respond in the most humble way possible. Giving him all. Giving him your all. That's doing your work his way. That's how you find peace in your work and rest for your soul. That's how you can sleep like a baby.
I started today talking about Georgia, my granddaughter. This is her in her bed, which is in our bedroom. And so I often walk past it very quietly because the last thing I want to do is wake her up. And um, one day I'm just stopping and I'm holding onto the rail and I'm looking at her in the bed and watching her sleep. And I'm thinking, you know why she sleeps so soundly? She's not worried about anything. She knows and trusts that someone is always there ready to love her and feed her and clothe her and change her and take care of her every need. And there's also someone who has promised to take care of you, to love you, to protect you, to guide you, to provide for you. Someone who knows your heart and is intimately involved in every single aspect of your life. He wants to take care of you as well. And that's Jesus. That's what Jesus wants for you. One of the ways that we remember what the Lord has done for us is through the act of communion. Jesus came to this earth, did what he did. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross so that we could have peace with God. Hopefully when you came in today, you got one of these communion cups. If you did, you can raise your hand and we have some folks walking around that'll help you try to get one. But this ceremony of communion was initiated so that we would remember Jesus and what he's done. That was Jesus' command to disciples that night. He said, do this in remembrance of me. And when we do, we can't help but be humbled and thankful. And it's not to say we deserve this or we're good enough to take this. It's just that we recognize and remember what you have done, Lord. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says that we're to examine ourselves before we take it, not to determine if we're worthy, but if we're just in the right place of reflection and remembrance. And so I want to take just a, a few moments silently to make sure that our hearts are right. And then at your campus, the campus pastors will lead you through that. But if you would, please bow. Let's do that now. Lord, we're so thankful for the moments that we have here today to reflect God, we lay our hearts open in front of you. Examine us, God. Whatever is in us that is not of you, we want to be done with it today. We want to turn and go in a different direction, the direction you would have us to go, God, and not the one we've been choosing for ourselves. If there's anything in our life that we need to stop doing, God, today's that day. If there's something that we need to start doing, God, today's that day. As Pastor Howard was just talking about, work, Lord, we remember that you, tell, you told us on the cross that the work was finished. Our salvation is set. But God, the ongoing process of looking more and more like you and less and less like us, we need your help with, God. That's what we're doing today, Lord. We're remembering you to remind us that we want to look like you and act like you and talk like you and be like you in every way possible. Lord, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, church, if you haven't already, you can go ahead and peel that, those uh, things off the communion cups. And then we're going to take the bread. The bread is this reminder, this reminder that physically in this life, God looked at us and said, the only chance they have is my son. That's it. So he physically came in physical form into the world, and we get to take the bread together, celebrating that and remembering that together this morning. Would you do that? <clears throat> and then uh, 
the cup that we have is the juice, the reminder that from really from the very beginning of time, ever since Adam and Eve committed sin, uh, the, the shedding of blood has been the pathway for the forgiveness of sin. So we're taking the cup together this morning, reminding ourselves, remembering what Jesus made possible for us, forgiveness of sin. Would you take it with me? All right. If you'd stand up with me for just a moment today. Pastor Howard kind of landed on, on this concept at the end of there's someone who loves you and takes, wants to take care of you. If you've never taken that step of putting your faith in Christ as your Savior, we're going to have some prayer partners up here that would love to help you take that step today. And listen, God is doing something in New Hope right now because last weekend, a lot of you were part of 241 baptisms we did last weekend. And we got, we got some more after the 1115 service. So if you're like, want to hang around and help us celebrate, we'd love to have you hang around and help us celebrate again. But we're going to have prayer partners up here. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to dismiss you. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the reminder um, that our work is not to be a burden. Our work is to be a pleasure and we take joy in it because we work like you're our boss. God, help us in that. Man, help us in so many ways in that, Lord. Help us to, to treat our coworkers, our boss, our, our employees with the respect they deserve, the humanity that they are. Lord, thank you. Thank you for helping us in this difficult, difficult work sometimes. Lord, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. New Hope, we'd love to pray with you this morning. Otherwise, I love you guys, and we'll see you next time. If you enjoyed the podcast, we encourage you to follow, share it with friends and family, or let us know by tagging us at New Hope Church TV on social media. We would love to connect with you. Thanks for listening.